Welcome to episode 70 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I'm Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times, here as always for 70 episodes. It's a nice round one with uh, Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Hoops Report. How you doing, Joe? Good, after a quiet week of very little basketball. Yeah, Jack Gleason, <laughs> you know, who puts together schedules, you know, we talk about Jack a lot, he's been doing it for a lot of years, says that he doesn't ever remember <laughs> an in-season week that was that light. It was kind of that notable. I think I would have had like a half week vacation if I didn't get the flu. So, I, yeah, I no, guess it was. Well There's a big week ahead of us, so it kind of makes up for the slow week. Definitely. Well, our, our plan for today is um, we'll do some questions. We will do our two takes, and then Joe and I have each selected five breakout players from this season that we're gonna take a look at. And then, yeah, the week ahead is loaded. It uh, it's something else. So we're gonna do maybe. A run through of a lot of the games, maybe preview a couple. There are some big ones. I've already got a uh, text message thread going with Kizo Brown's dad over the Simeon Fenwick game. <laughs> a lot of interest in that one. Um, so that should be interesting. But let's start it out with the questions. We had some uh, some new ones, some old ones. The first one is from Vladi Azor. Vladi wants to know who the top five guards in the Chicago area are and the best teams we've seen the last decade or so. Joe, did you come up with a list of the top five guards? Are we gonna well, I did. I did. And, again, a lot of times it's different prospect-wise versus high school basketball player-wise. I, From my end, I kind of did prospect-wise. There's three that stand out, Io DeSumo, DJ Stewart, and Adam Miller to me. Uh, obviously, Io and Adam are both from Morgan Park and DJ Stewart at Sepenwick. Those are the three best, most talented prospects. And you could argue they're, you know, obviously the three of the best high school guards. Uh, then it, it gets, I think, tricky. Uh, I, I went Marquise Jacobs as the fourth one. And then, well, I didn't catch the the Chicago area thing. I threw Kendall Moore of Danville in there uh, as, as the high school player version. And, and a good prospect, too, going to Drake. But, I mean, those are the five that kind of stood out. Xavier Castaneda, obviously, is a is a... He's a big name. Javon Freeman, I, he's kind of more of a wing right now, trying to become more of a two. Um, th- those are the ones that stood out. My guards would run your guards out of the court, your, uh, your prospects. <laughs> Maybe in five <laughs> years you'd have me. But um, the guys this year, I mean, I have not seen a better guard, and I'm including Io. And Io is obviously, you know, number one on the list, but I have not even seen Io play better than Morgan Taylor in, the, you know, the game and a half mm-hmm. I saw him this year. He has... He was an absolute dominant force, you know, against a really good St. Lawrence team. Nobody could stop Morgan Taylor from getting whatever he wanted. Um, so he's really high on the list for me. My third guy might be a bit of a controversial pick. I don't know. Because um, like Marquise Jacobs, he's not starting for his team. Uh, Xavier Pinson. Yeah, he's playing maybe half the game for Simeon. But when he comes in, holy crud. <laughs> I mean, he's doing some incredibly mind-blowing things. I mean, not even like sort of like, oh, wow, that was impressive, but like just jaw-dropping dunks and passes and takes to the basket. I've been really impressed with the short amount of time I've seen um, Xavier Pinson. It looked like he had a big game um, out of town recently where he was like yeah, second-leading scorer. And his interest is picking up Georgetown, St. Louis, uh, Dayton. Uh, you know, Those are some schools that are starting to, to really kind of pique the interest 
Yeah. Yeah. He's just a tr- he's a tremendous passer. I mean, he's yeah. just an elite elite level passer. Yeah, I've been really impressed. Um, Chase Adams is going to be my fourth. You know, that's a pick nobody would have really saw coming into the year, but he's. You know, he's not putting up the 36 or whatever points, but he's consistently hitting almost 20 with an awful lot of assists, and he's got that Orr team just completely humming as a machine right now. And we saw early in the year, there was no guarantee that was going to happen. You know, they had a bit of a, a rough start. Things Even when they were winning, they didn't look super great, but that appears to be completely over. Um, my fourth guy, or sorry, my fifth guy, another surprise. I think it's time to give Marquise Walker some serious credit. This season, I know a lot of people have, you know, have had issues with a lot of the things he's done over his past with, you know, the Kentucky thing or the reclassifying, transferring this and that. But if you were at Pontiac, it's hard to really take away from what the guy did. I mean, he had his team in a position to win every game constantly. Yeah, they ran into a little bit much with Simeon, but Marquise Walker has really become the man on what is clearly, you know, a top two, top three team in the area. So I think Marquise, you know, as a senior, deserves a, a lot of credit for that. Really plays well uh, with some guts. And that's what, uh, although, did you just call him a senior? Oh yeah, sorry, junior. See, well, <laughs> uh, good for him. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you know, he just—I think I wrote the uh, intestinal fortitude. He's not yeah. afraid of some big moments. He's—he's—he'll hit, make some big shots for you. Yeah, and you know, he can handle the ball. There's been a lot of talk in the past. You know, he's a ball hog. He's this or that. People love to attack Marquise Walker, but it's pretty hard to get the ball out of his hands <laughs> when you, if if you want it. So those are my top five, which is surprised me a little bit when I sat down to um actually choose them um yeah and, and that, again that's the whole high school you know when you and it goes to when we talk about all state teams and things like that it's just it's more about what they are as high school players what they're doing uh as, as opposed to what they are as prospects uh top teams in the last decade or so joe we'll kind of take this one together joe and i were actually talking about it a little bit before we recorded yeah i think uh, real quick we'll we'll start with like the simeon deal They've obviously won so many championships. And I think a common question is which one is the best Simeon team. And a lot of people will go with that Jabari Parker team. I don't simply because if Jabari Parker would have been 100% healthy and completely in shape and dominating Jabari Parker, then maybe. uh, Because that was Kendrick Nunn's senior year, of course, and just a whole bunch of talent. But I, I still, just because of how dominating Tim Flowers was as a high school player with Derrick Rose. I put that team, scratch, just barely gets in that first in that decade, 2007 uh, Simeon team. What's your best Simeon team? Oh, there's no question to me. I think that team would run Jabari's senior year team. I think Rob Smith agrees, too. Um, I But I think if Jabari was playing all year long, I think it's a different conversation. Maybe. I, I, I just... Jabari was a shell of himself. It seemed, I mean, it was not even Jabari. And, I mean, he came back, and then he was, you know, out of shape, a little overweight. And he just, he was never Jabari. And that's why. Something know. about those kids that they'd grown up playing together for so many years. You know, that's what yeah. the rose, flowers, orange, you know, um, the, the role players, they didn't go on like Randall Hampton. You know, those guys, they just knew where to be with that group of, of players, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's another thing to talk about when you talk about, you know, just not star-studded, but more about what they do as a high school yeah. team. 
and, and coming together, which another one, I think the best of my group, Mike, that didn't win that we were talking about is the Proviso East team. And they didn't even get to the championship game. 2013, they lost to Simeon. And you look at not only what they did in the high school ranks and then went to college, but Sterling Brown was the big name, obviously, but also Paris Lee, who went out and had a tremendous career at Illinois State, and then Javon Carter, who is just killing it right now at West Virginia. But you put those three guys together, I mean, that was a pretty dynamic team that lost in the semifinals to Simeon. Yeah, my best team that didn't win it didn't even win a playoff game. Yeah. <laughs> um, the 2014 Curie team, uh, to me, I don't know why. You know, they're the one, the controversial one. They took away the city title. It's the Stamps brothers, Cliff Alexander, Devin Gage, Kamar Marshall, and Malik Washington came on and played well. That Whitney Young, that was Young and Okafor against Cliff Alexander and Curie in the city title game at Chicago State. It's one of the best games I've ever seen in my life. Miles Reynolds hit one of the most amazing shots I've ever seen in my life for Young. I think it was that was to send it to overtime, um, mm. I believe. And then Curie won. Cliff clearly outplayed Jalil Okafor in that game. That's where he won Player of the Year. Um, I think that was it. Was just such a performance, and that team was so dominant throughout the year. I really think that team is up there with the teams that won state over the last 10 years. I think an overlooked state champion, I should say overlooked, but one that it goes back to just cohesion and just playing well together, well coached, and with a star player was that Stevenson team, Jalen Brunson's senior year a couple years, few years ago. Uh, obviously, Jalen Brunson was the most dynamic player in high school basketball as a senior, and it wasn't even close. And then you had Connor Cashaw, who was really kind of underrated uh, as a player. And he's putting together a terrific career at Rice right now. And then Justin Smith was a sophomore. It was, you know, a piece of that. But then they had those those, those role guys. Matt like, Morrissey. Yeah. Uh, Parker Nichols. Yeah. Um, uh, Matt Johnson uh, was, a, was a really good solid guard. And actually, Morrissey, I believe, yeah, was the year before. Yeah. yeah, I think he, he left. But So I, that, that's one team that st- stands out. Um, and yeah, Joe uh, Belleville Altoff, the junior year of um, mm-hmm. Jordan Goodwin, that team was just loaded. That was a, just an excellent team, one of the better teams we've seen at state in the last few years. They were just three A, but I don't think that really matters. They were top notch. Anybody? I, oh, obviously the Jaleel Okafor senior year team that did end yes. up winning it that year. Paul White, um, Jaleel Okafor. Um, when you got, I mean, that alone. When you got a six foot ten. <laughs> man child in high school basketball i mean it and miles I, reynolds really came on yeah um, yep. the second half of that year especially kind of became a better player than i ever thought he was going to be for sure um yeah that's uh, about that's a handful right there yeah um the provides Oost one's a good call joe i think that's a team not a lot of us think a lot about um all right next question this going here this is one that weirdly i was hit with a number of times on um you know, actually, I think we have it two times on here. Um, Coralis. All of a sudden, people want to know. This is from Justin R. Hoop Vibes also sent this question. What's your take on Coralis? Well, under the Hoop Vibes wanted to know what they need to do to get ranked. I mean, that's pretty simple. You have to beat someone good. Um, but Justin yeah, R. That... Has, has a more interesting question. What's your take on Coralis? Quietly 12-2 and two and beating Lincoln Way East to win the Effingham Holiday Tournament. It looks like they have a clear path to NIU Super in 2A. If they can beat my beloved Moments Redskins, 
That sounds kind of fun, I, actually. <laughs> I, I, I saw this question, and I had to change one of my two takes because of it. Because oh, wow. I, I had a take on, on Corliss and, and particularly George Condit. Uh, but I, I, I know so little about Corliss. I, I, I really, I mean, but my take was more of the lines of George Condit. Just, I have never, I, this is the most hidden, highly ranked, high major prospect that no one ever sees play since who, Mike? Oh, that's clear. Anthony Davis? Yes. And now I'm not calling him Anthony Davis. I'm just saying it, it, it is, it's, I mean, I don't think, well, I know for a fact, you and I, we haven't mentioned George Condit in one podcast. Have we? Oh, I'm sure we did not signing day season. one. Yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah. Not since the season got, started, no. So it, it has been, I mean, and I have forgotten about him until I read these questions. And I, I mean, the team, I was going to talk about George Condit in my take, but. I find it really interesting because I simply don't know much about Corliss as a team. I know they have Kobe Mapp, who um, is a fascinating Come player. Um, Kobe Mapp started at Simeon. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Bogan. Then he went to Tilden. He was might have been briefly somewhere else in the middle of that. And now is at Corliss. But he can play. I've seen him play. So they at least have one capable guard, and they have George Condit. So that will fare you pretty well <laughs> in their world. But, I mean, right now they're staring at, you know, they had a they lost to North Chicago, who, you know, I like, but is under 500. Um, and other than that, their best win was the recent win against their last game against Lincoln Way East, um, which is a nice win for them. Lincoln Way East hasn't been quite what we hoped they'd be. The big problem is nobody, I'm not getting any news, any info on Corliss. Nobody's heard about George Condit because nobody's sending me any stats. Mm. You know, so they're not even in the notebook. I'm, I'm not even retweeting anything. You know, I think maybe once or twice this year. I think I saw some stuff when they were on the Christmas tournament. But, yeah, I mean, in a way, I mean, I, I can't call everybody. You know what I mean? Or email. So it, it is unfortunate. But at some point, if you want to get your name out there, you know, you got to help. Get Self-advocate. Yeah, I mean, there's something out there. I'm looking at their schedule right now, which doesn't seem to be full, so I don't even know when the next – because I'd like to see them. Um, but, yeah, there just isn't a game that sticks out. Maybe one of those early playoff games will be the time. Um, but as far as them in the playoffs, I mean, you got to like their chances, I think, in 2A, yeah, right? I have not break, but I have not broken down the, the, the road that Corliss has in 2A. Uh no, I mean, uh, well, no, that's, this guy has. They avoid or Leo and uplift until Peoria. Right, but I don't know what other teams are in left. Yeah, apparently moments I mean, is their big uh, goal. So, Well, there you go. Yeah, we will find out. That would be a really fun game. All right, Alex Andre is ready to cause some trouble with his question. If the season ends today, who's player of the year? Go ahead, Mike. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. I mean, this shouldn't even be that much of a stretch. It's Taylor Horton Tucker right now. I, yeah, I agree. I hasn't played in like five games. It, it is, and, and he's just doing it in some, on, on some, in some big moments, big stages. I mean, what, the schedule they've played, the numbers he's putting up. I mean, it's halfway point, so there's plenty of basketball. There's some big moments left, you know, and and you know, public league playoff time will will matter because. Quite frankly, your your top candidates are in the public league. Yeah. Aside from maybe Ryan Davis from Conan, who's kind of made a push there, but they just stumbled last week. But yeah, I, I you know, all these things. I'm not saying that he will be a runaway winner going forward, 
because who knows what Ayo Desumo could do in the next two months. But, I mean, you can't argue really at a debate right now at the midway point who your player of the year is in the Chicago area. Yeah, it's pretty cut and dried. I think that'd be a unanimous vote. Um, second from Alexandre, Joe, how talented looking back was a kid like Amari Sawyer from King, who with the personal issues and attitude couldn't get out of his own way? And any idea what a kid like that is doing today? No clue what Amari Sawyer is doing. He was a he was a headline-grabbing superstar at King, obviously, and averaged 30, 31 a game as a senior. I just remember... I mean, this is a long time ago now because we're talking 17, 18 years, 20 years when he first rolled on the scene as a young player. But he was coming off the heels of what was pretty transcendent time in individual players. That 1998, the valued class of Quentin Richardson, Corey McGetty, Frank Williams, Bobby Simmons. And then, you know, in 1999, you had Brian Cook and Leon Smith and, you know, Turning out McDonald's All-Americans after McDonald's All-Americans back when we had them. Uh, <laughs> and then Amari Sawyer came along, and I, I was not as huge right, or as big of a fan as a lot of other people were with Amari Sawyer. Extremely talented. was a high major player. Went to DePaul, kind of fizzled out. Um, the original question, what was it, Mike? It was just... Uh, it was... <laughs> I'm um, rambling on Amari Sawyer. How talented Sawyer. was he? Oh, yeah, I mean, he was a naturally gifted player who I thought lacked just a little bit of substance as it, it, when you, like, really projected him. Uh, but an amazing, fun player to watch. Yeah, he's and he's – it's not like any tragic thing. I'm not sure, like, what his job is, but I know he was just in a – a couple years ago there was a game that um, somebody put together. I don't remember who it was, but he played in an all-star game. Like, Ronnie Fields was there and Paul McPherson, a lot of the old – guys you know Stephen Hunter played I think that kind of thing so he's around um he's not like didn't have some horrible tragic thing he just wasn't as great as everybody thought he might be <laughs> right and he's another kid that as an eighth grader and a freshman received just the the height of hype uh as a young player and and it's hard to match the early lofty expectations thrown on some of these kids and and i think that was the case with amari sawyer yeah he had a puma commercial he had a shoe commercial he had a commercial he had a sports illustrated thing yeah. about how he's going to resurrect you know the depaul program uh, or help them after they had landed at you know q and those guys but yeah he, he was a fun exciting player to watch though indeed um all right i think all right hold on nope chris sullivan Hi, Mike and Joe. What are the best and worst schools to cover a game at? He said, you know, as a member of the media, not a fan. And then any special privileges in Peoria, which that made me laugh. Uh, the, the best is anyone who provides a program with accurate rosters and a designated place to sit if it's expecting a really big crowd. And in my case, for Mike, a, a, a more of a working spot. But um, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I I'm think... My best is pretty clear. It might surprise people, but it's Brother Rice. Um, as Joe said, there's a place to sit they have for you. If you call ahead, they'll actually put your name on it usually. And what makes Brother Rice the best is not only do they have a program, but that program will have relevant, up-to-date game notes and statistics. Like, 
the series of the team they're playing, who's on it, like actual sports information things that you could put in your story if you wanted, which mm-hmm. is a normal thing for like college and pro reporters, but literally will only happen to me when I go to Brother Rice. And it's pretty amazing. So I will give Brother Rice top marks for that. Um, and other than that, I'll say basically any place that has the built in media section or a place where they put up a table just somewhere so I can sit and work. Um, and there's a lot of that in the South suburbs, you know, Thornton Hillcrest, HF all has it. St. Charles East out West. Um, as far as bad places, it's usually Ooh, something you're going to name them. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. it's usually something I've created for myself where people are angry at me and don't want me there, but like Marshall's really bad. Um, I like going to Marshall. I like the gym, but it's so small. You know, there's nowhere to even put a table if they wanted. So I usually end up trying to sit in the crowd. Then there's too many people. So I wind up standing when you're standing, you can only see so much. And so it's just a nightmare. Um, I kind of enjoy it because there's so much energy in that gym, but there's no way you could have a computer out. I usually can't even tweet. It's just kind of a nightmare setup, and I'm not sure there's much they can really do about it. Lincoln Park is kind of the same way. I end up standing in the corner, and you can't, there isn't a scoreboard that works on both sides usually. So wherever you stand, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, those tiny, small public league gyms, the energy is fun, but from an actual working standpoint, it's a complete and utter nightmare. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think any yeah. other. Schomburg ones didn't let me in because they just had an idiot at the door. Uh, this was probably 15 years ago um so yeah no good to them um the lady i've i've had much more i've had a lot more issues getting into gyms in the last three years oh yeah it's getting weird than than ever and and it's not about being cheap (laughs) it's i mean i understand it's only four or five bucks but when you're actually going to games every night and going to every tournament and four tournaments a day and two days, I mean, obviously, and you're working, it, it, it does matter. But I, I've never understood that at all. I mean, I, I don't know. Just a random gym that you're just going to show up and try to get in for Yeah, it's really – I had a kind of Larry David thing a couple of weeks ago. I probably shouldn't even tell this story, but I don't know what I was thinking. It was kind of weird. I was going to the Evanston um, – game evans and zion benton and i was at the door and i showed the woman my pass and she asked to see an id and i said well what why and okay because like my press pass all it says is chicago sun times it's it's issued by the ihsa and it says chicago sun times it says right on it they have to let you into every game um except for the state tournament you know finals and I said, my name isn't on this pass. It doesn't say Michael O'Brien. <laughs> or so I, I told her, it doesn't say whatever my name is. So what good is looking at my ID? <laughs> I don't understand. Right. And and for some reason, I was willing to die on this hill. <laughs> and I don't know why. Because I had to cover this game. I couldn't go to another one. <laughs> the photographer's already there. And so I'm basically getting in a fight for no reason <laughs> with this lady <laughs> over this. Because I, I decided flat out I just wasn't going to do it. <laughs> And yeah, I eventually Chris I, I, Latino I, came by and said hello and got me in. I've gone so many years without the IHSA pass because I just had, you know, no issues. And, and that was when the IHSA was actually sending me them. And I just kind of quit receiving them. So then I had to call the IHSA this year to make sure to get one because I was tired of, I don't know, not, I, <laughs> not yeah. letting me in the gym. So I, I think it's that they're so. It used to be that there was a number of media outlets coming, and the people at the front doors were used to it. And I think now there are so many now games. Now we're surprising them. Exactly, that nobody comes to. And so maybe if 
it's probably not the same person every game. So maybe if you do five games a year, three of them, nobody's going to come, you know? And so it's like a weird, that's the best I, I can guess. The whole thing's weird to me, but anyway. Um, let's see. I think, oh, uh, Gary Winthorpe. I think it might be his first question. Um, he wanted to know some of our favorite gyms. Gary, we have hit that a lot in the past, including just two or three episodes ago. So go listen back if you want, and we'll hit it again if you keep listening. Don't worry. If about there that. are, if there's some gym lovers out there though, and you like, I'm talking about there's some people that really like gymnasiums. I, 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 mean, I kind of like them, but uh, down south blows away like the gyms up in the Chicago area. If you go to like a West Frankfurt or a Pinckneyville. Uh, well, the old Centralia gym I loved, uh, Nashville, El Dorado. We are talking some really, really unique, cool gymnasiums down south that blow away almost all of the gymnasiums up, up here in the Chicago area. Yeah, the Chicago suburbs generally is not a uh, hotbed of cool gyms. That's for sure. Um, oh, he wanted, also wanted us to rank the top five conferences in Illinois, which I don't know. Um uh, I mean, the Chicago area, we've talked a lot about. I- I'll give you three, Mike, though, outside of the Chicago area that are historically really good, maybe not great this year. The Western Big Six is got some basketball junkies in it, which I find really cool. Quincy, Rock Island, Galesburg. You got Moline and United Township, Mo- uh, East Moline United Township. Great gym- Those are some really nice gymnasiums, too. And yes. tons of basketball history and, and just some really cool basketball towns. That's one league that jumps out at me. The, the Big 12 uh, down in central Illinois, they adjusted. I don't know if it was, I don't know how many years it's been now. They added the Peoria schools. But, I mean, you look at, at Danville, Normal, Normal West, Bloomington, Champaign Central, and then Manuel and Richwoods, which they're down this year. But that's a Really good league. And the last one I, I, I was thinking of was the one, um, what's it called? Southwestern Conference down in uh, yeah. the St. Louis area. Edwardsville and, and, and the Bellevilles and Alton and East St. Louis. And I think Collinsville's in there too. So, I mean, that's another really. So the Southwestern Conference, the Big 12, and the Western Big Six are the three that really uh, jump out at you statewide and, and of uh, course the public league ones up, and here. Yeah, up, up here we've lost all of our conference identity i mean it's mm-hmm. it's a nice oh you go back to the old sick east is yeah. the, the the sick of east days of when when thornton and bloom and thornwood and and that home with flossmore those were that was the i mean the epitome of a conference it was. I mean, the Sig East was loaded. Then we used to have, you know, our, we don't even have Red West, Red South anymore to talk about. Even my old conference, the Sicka West, had its moments, mm-hmm. you know, and you knew what it was and who it was and that kind of thing. We've just lost it. The football has screwed everything up conference-wise around here. It's a complete right. mess and constantly changing. And there are some people who believe that we are very quick, close to a situation in which conferences will be totally gone. For football. Which is interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know what they would do for They're everything just else get, then. Just, wouldn't they keep the con- – I, I heard it was just for football. Well, I mean, that would be the point, yeah. But do you keep like, them? There would be no football conferences, but everybody else would Because then they'd probably just – if there's no football involved, they'd just form their, the best conference they can. They'd probably s- stick to it for five decades. Yeah, and everything totally I mean, changes when football's mean, not involved. Right. 
So, I mean, they do need – I firmly am – you're cover the football beat, but you got to do something. I mean, it's stupid what's happening. And for scheduling purposes and everything, just do away with conferences for football. Yeah, and I don't think that's helping well, – I'll put that another way. I know it's definitely hurting high school basketball, The this all this conference changing. Yeah, you lose interest. Exactly. I mean, there's, like a, there's, there's certain games that just lose – I mean – Let's say you have six games, Mike, that you put in your schedule. Like, okay, this is going to be a great crowd, great atmosphere. And let's say you screw around the conferences and you lose four of those games. You know, Um, it's just, it sucks. Yeah, there were people who only went to Joliet-Lockport games. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what they did. If Joliet played Lockport, oh, we're going to go see that game. No matter what, they kind of went most years. And I'm sure there's the equivalent of that all around the area. And it's all been completely messed up. Then we had this four classes thing, and I think it's probably an underrated factor in, I think, the decline of a lot of stuff. But yeah. anyway, um, takes, Joe. You want to go first? Yeah. Uh, first one is it's MLK Weekend Festival. I mean, it's become a huge, huge basketball weekend. Uh, the Martin Luther King Weekend Tournaments shootout. I mean, they're, they're basically tournaments now. Um I've stated before, I've never been a big fan of these for various reasons from certain events are just kind of pretty poor and down and they just, some teams pile up some wins over the course of the weekend. There's too many games in a short period of time has been my biggest complaint. I've seen teams in that fourth game just be dead tired and the quality of play suffers. Uh, And more importantly, I think what it does to particular teams, if you don't have the depth, I mean, if you're playing five, six guys, this is an AAU basketball where they do play all weekend and they got eight, nine guys usually they can play and they got to play them. It's just, it can take a toll. I've talked to coaches and some of these coaches have gotten out of them because of that purpose. From year to year, your your team's built differently. And if you don't have that depth and you're going to go play, and some of these schools play a game on Friday night, two on Saturday, two on Monday. It's just, it's ludicrous. But my take isn't actually about that. It's about these tournaments and events during this coming weekend, particularly the ones that are actually clearly stated they're Martin Luther King tournaments or have Martin Luther King attached to it in some way. Can you please just do just a little something to educate? Just do something to recognize or make those in the event or attending the event aware of why... They're calling this event Martin Luther King Weekend Tournament or whatever they decide to call it. I, I haven't been to all of them. I mean, so maybe there are some out there that are doing something to at least pay tribute, recognize, educate. But there are certainly others that I have that you, you could probably do something. Don't you think you could just kind of do something to kind of recognize and, and, and point that out? I knew Joe was going to complain about Martin Luther King basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different take to it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't. I did not see it going that way. <laughs> so that was. Uh... I got to find a new take on why I don't like this yes. weekend. Joe, I can't wait to have some Martin Luther King consolation action for people to tell me about. It's gonna rule. Oh, there we go again. Yes, I mean if you didn't like <laughs> consolation tournaments in December's at Pontiac, I mean. I mean, I don't know what your takes are, but real quick. I mean, your thoughts real quick on the concept of it. Uh, of what? Just the, this, the I don't know, a 16-team tournament. Oh. 
Um, I think it would be fine if there was no consolation play. And I actually, the exact Wheaton Warrenville South, the, the one, if that's the one you're talking about. I just wish it was spread out so everybody just played once a day. Well, yeah, but, but, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just what I would do. I and last year it was really good. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was stacked and, and again, I, I think they do a good job. I think some schools really do like it. I, I just, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit and lie and say I love something I don't, but I just, I, I have a hard time getting really jazzed up about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe even do the Pontiac thing, you know, first round Saturday, second round Sunday, and then semis and title on Monday. Well, and then the Lyola Academy tournament that's going on right now, which is, I've joked with Tom Levitino, uh, the coach there about it, but they are a completely different type of deal where they're playing spread out over days to get their, I mean, people are getting games in. Uh, if they started play, well, my days are all mixed up now, but uh, they already started play and they'll continue play and it goes on and over the course of a, I'm not real sure, 10 yeah. days or two weeks. Yeah, they do that all the time in girls basketball. Woo! <clears throat> Exciting. Um, I was so into your take, I lost my, okay, yeah. My first take, um, I zipped my lip about it when we were talking about this earlier and maybe this isn't going to be as controversial as I think it is, but I think that this year's current Simeon team. No, you gotta stop. Why? My second take. Oh really? That they're really, really good. <laughs> My take number two is why Simeon is so good. Yeah, but no, I, I, I mean, I think they're going to be one of the better teams in the last decade. That's mine. Okay, keep going, and I'll just okay. what I'll do is I'll just add to yeah, it. Yeah, I think this team, you know, the more I and it's weird because it didn't hit me all at once. You know, I've seen them a lot. It was just kind of then going away from him, thinking about it, and I I think it took me a little while to realize just how good they are. You know, I was getting a little pissy about the starting lineups, <laughs> this kind of thing, and who was doing what. But just looking back on what I watched at Pontiac, I've been going to Pontiac since I was a kid, and I don't no teams ever literally blitzkrieged through the field like that, through a really good field like that. I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker is. It's like an octopus. There's no way to plan for him, or you you throw him on the court, and he's just gonna do. You, just, you can't stop him. And then these other guys are just these massive athletes that you can't stop from getting to the rim and rebounding. But more than anything, it's just this sense they have, this confidence. And I don't know if it's because of the city of Palms that that it seemed to change there. Even though they really dominated Morgan Park in Morgan Park's gym, when this team came back, you know, Joe mentioned the business like thing a few times, and. Yeah, there's just something about them. They have this swagger now and this confidence. I like how Rob Smith's only playing. It's basically it's seven guys. You know, Mod Bynum's gotten in a little bit. But other than that, it's seven. They know what they're doing. They know who they're guarding. They know what they're playing. They know what they're running. And I don't really know who's going to stop them. Yeah, I, you know, when the season began, and Michael say you always rank Simeon number one, but I, <laughs> I, I put them number one for a reason because I thought, and I, and I loved Orr, and I could argue, you could, I'm not going to sit and debate and argue Orr in the preseason because they had a lot coming back. But I just thought, I saw the potential in what I saw in some of these players. Obviously, a lot of people didn't see Xavier Pinson kind of, the, the the different type of Xavier Pinson that I saw over the course of the summer. Zion Young, the transfer, I got a look at him. So you could, I just didn't know how it all come together. I didn't know if it would come together in the way that Mike just described, and it is. It, it is coming together how I 
I thought it potentially could, which is why I made them number one in my preseason rankings. But I pointed out some 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 specific reasons why. And one of them starts with Tillon Horton Tucker. Arguably the best player in the state right now is playing at an extremely high level that you could say, you know, you did or didn't expect, but consistently a high level. Mm-hmm. The other thing I love is they have multiple ball handlers. I mean, the underrated guy, the the wild card, and I agree with you on Xavier Pinson, but Kiwan Clements has been a, a rock for them. He has been a, a defensive stalwart. He's given them toughness. Uh, he, he's kind of accepted who he is as a player and the role he has for this particular team. And he's so interrupt. He's so strong. He might. Right. He, it looks like he gained fifteen pounds of muscle since last year. Right. He, I mean, he's a man on the perimeter, yes. especially when you're playing. Maybe not in the national level where they're, they're all ridiculously talented, big and strong. But uh, here in Illinois, and then the, the, they're. Just two more factors. One, the players have bought into their roles. Something, if, you, if you've watched Rob Smith's teams over the years, and I think this is the underrated job that Rob Smith does. Everybody can say, yeah, they got all the players, they got all the talent. He had Jabari, he had Derrick Rose. I get it. They're extremely talented. They have the most talent. But he does a phenomenal job when his teams are rolling like this. And when they are winning state championships, historically, has done an unbelievable job of getting these players to buy into what Simeon's about, what their roles are, not only what the role is, but kind of thriving in their roles. And then the final thing is, and I don't even know how big a factor this is, but a lot of players on this team, for, for being Simeon, have a lot to prove. Uh, some there's a bunch of them that are looking for scholarships. I mean, from Pittman, the shooter who doesn't have a whole lot going, to Pinson who's uncommitted, to Zion Young who's uncommitted, to and even Talon Horton Tucker. I think came into the season with a chip on his shoulder. I really do. I think he. I mean, I think even Kwan Clemens has been somewhat. He was a hyped up freshman, and you know he was kind of always in the back burner of, of Simeon talk because you know we did talk a lot about Kizo Brown early on in his career so all those factors have played into it and this isn't to say you know Mike said I don't know who's going to beat them I don't either I, I don't think they're invincible uh, I, I, but I do believe though that because of the state of the state that they become a little bit more of that because of what else I've seen and because of that, I, I I have a hard time seeing who's going to beat them. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that. I'm going to get nailed for this. But right now, I feel like they are invincible in, in our state. Uh, but I, that said, I think we're going to see a great test, and I'm able to cheat a little bit. But that Fenwick game at Fenwick on Monday, it's going to be a close one. I, I really believe that. I, they both have been. We saw how Fenwick was able to slow down Orr. And you know, really, and Fenwick's improving. They're getting better. I mean, they they did not look good early on in the season. I, I think they are progressively getting better, and I think you're right. It, but it'll be interesting, Mike, if we come out on Monday and Simeon had a twenty point win. Then yeah, you just wrap <laughs> it up, roll like, up the carpet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's done. Good luck. I mean, I don't see. I mean, Orr is playing very well. So maybe in the city title game, you know, they could. Pull something there because I was gonna have the underdog mojo and Simeon. You know, you could see where maybe, you know, this team comes out flat once, 
pot again. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's high school basketball, teenage kids. It's, yeah. it's, uh, but, they aren't, you know, they're not huge either. I mean, they're not, but the or thing because of, I mean, Messiah size, Jones plays yes. bigger than his 6'5 mm-hmm. size, but Simeon is not very big. But they went and played these national teams that are all huge and competed and beat Memphis East that knocked them off earlier in the year. Yeah, that was interesting. And from what I was following on Twitter, I couldn't watch it, but the Memphis East game, it sounded like the issue against Memphis East was largely Simeon guards getting overwhelmed a little bit with the pressure. It wasn't so much the bigs, which mm. surprised me. It wasn't something I would have thought. But but going back to or I mean, does can – Danny Smith and Raekwon Drake and their size and length of ore. Uh, and they, and they play physical. Yeah. And it, that's one area that you could see them kind of, uh, exposing maybe a little bit. Um, all right. So that was my, so that was my second and that take, was your so. take. All right. So I'm up next. All right. My next take is going to be a bit of a, uh, whiny one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about three of my guys and a little college basketball. Number um, you know, we've heard we heard a lot. I sat around with a lot of coaches over the last few years and heard a lot about these three guys and how that if they took these guys, it would cost them their careers and they'd lose their jobs. And one of the most interesting things is that most of those guys are not in those jobs <laughs> anymore. And the guys they wouldn't take, Malik Yarbrough, Nick Rakasevich, and Lonzo Verge, a little premature, but I'm going to talk about what he was doing. He's doing right now are absolutely doing great in college and would be great at any of the colleges that passed on them, local, not local, whatever. If you don't, if you don't pay attention, Malik Yarbrough, he's a junior at ISU. He's averaging 18.6 rebounds and five assists. He's had at least three articles I've seen this week. Um, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, and somewhere else all talking about his NBA potential, one of the, like five mid-major guys that the NBA has their eyes on. He's got ISU, he's their best player, 9-7 and seven record. He's been Missouri Valley newcomer and player of the week at least two or three times. And all I had to hear for years was how Malik Yarbrough wasn't going to make it, was going to kill coaching staffs. Turns out, guess what, he's a pretty excellent college basketball player. Now you got Big Nick. I don't know if anybody noticed, but on Sunday, um, ironically, the starter for USC... Um, Starting big man was out for disciplinary reasons, so Nick got to play because Nick isn't causing any problems at USC. I, yeah, I've been shocked that the the minutes he's he's not playing many minutes. No. I've been shocked at that. Yeah, and when he gets his shot, like he did on Sunday, nineteen point seven boards in a win against Cal. He's just a, a sophomore. Um, yeah, like Joe said, he's not getting as much minutes, but he's really playing well when he does and taking his chance. And it's pretty clear he's going to be a really good college player um for sure and then we got alonzo verge down at moberly is just killing things uh had 51 points set a school record a couple weeks ago uh had 30 points and 13 assists against wabash valley he is averaging 21 points and seven assists shooting 60 percent from the field and 35 percent from three-point range it just absolutely he if he can stick you know it's tough at the especially at the junior college thing. It looks like Alonzo Verge is on track. Hopefully that works out for him. But I, I just want everybody to take this in mind when they start ripping these high school kids because we're already doing it with kids that are there right now and talking about all the trouble they're going to be and how they can't, they're not going to make it at these colleges. 
if these kids really haven't done anything wrong and you just don't like the look of their attitude or this or that or blah, blah, blah. I mean, it doesn't always work out this way. But a lot of times when other people are telling you other things, people who talk to these kids a lot, maybe you should listen and maybe not take that great kid standing in the corner doing nothing that you think is awesome. Although one of your three did have some things that they did wrong. But anyway, uh, Yarborough's numbers, 17.9 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, shooting 30, 35% from three. So uh, he is going to be an all Missouri Valley player. And, and, and the one thing I'll, not just Malik Yarborough, if it is unbelievable what happens to a college player when they one of two things one redshirt as a freshman or transfer and have a full year to sit out it does it, it's unbelievable. that's why that's why college coaches love transfers because they get that one year to just to they work on their game they work on their bodies they get acclimated they and it did wonders for Malik Yarbrough because I mean quite frankly Malik Yarbrough didn't didn't kill it at St. Louis. Um, but he's obviously just, I mean, I, I've talked to coaches in that league, uh, and they just say offensively, from an offensive standpoint, he's arguably the best player in the league. And he went through some troubles. His father died suddenly last year. You mm-hmm. know, For a lot of people, that would be pretty difficult to be to even come back from at all, much less be playing at this level. So he, he's even been kind of dealt a blow and come back. And played really well. Um, all right. Breakout players. Want to each take one at a time here? Yeah, I mean, I think Mike and I came up with five names apiece. Mike and I also have plenty of other names. I mean, this list could be dozens. We just wanted to highlight, you know, five each here. And my first one is is... Isaiah Fuller at Oak Park, who has really kind of quietly for a team that's done really well, has put to, he's been, by far been their best player at, at for Oak Park this year, and he has toned down his game in a great way. He is a little bit more polished with his decision making, and he has got tremendous end-to-end speed where he can really put pressure, and he is putting pressure on opposing defenses. And Isaiah Fuller, I, I can't remember his numbers. I mean, I think he's averaging 16, 17 a game. He has just been a player who has improved his game for a lot of different purposes, including uh, he should be a coveted Division II prospect and doesn't have a ton going. He's got nice size, good athleticism. And again, he has just really become a better decision maker at the point guard position. Yeah, and I, I, it's just been a tremendous season so far for him. That is it, totally. The decisions, and you're just confident in him now when he has the ball and what he's going to do. And he's been become kind of an all positive player. It was really impressive over Pontiac because he had to, you know, kind of shoulder the load because Deshaun Enoch was out, and you know that he does a lot for that team. And it was very impressive to watch Fuller. I, I totally agree. Uh, my guy is uh, Deshaun Anderson from Leo Jr. Uh, what is he, 6'7", 6'8". 
I, I wrote about this in the notebook. Uh, some of you might have read it, but I, his rebound numbers, I kept seeing him coming up, and I'm like, oh, come you, on. You think he's that tall? Yeah, he's big, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I was standing – I mean, I'm six – yeah, he's at least six six. Yeah, that's where I have him at, so I didn't know if he was bigger than that. And he's strong as a bull. Oh, yes. And he just wants to – what he told me was he's hungry for rebounds. <laughs> it is. I was really impressed with him. You know, he's he, and he's pretty good at put back and scoring. He, he's got, got decent hands, that kind of thing. He doesn't have a ton of post moves or anything yet, but he is just a raw rebounding machine. And to me, he's the kind of kid – He's got everything you need to turn into a real post force in college. You know, maybe not at the high major level, but I think definitely at the mid-major level. You know, he's somebody I'd be really intrigued by because he can run the floor. You know, he never sits out for a second, never seems to be tired. He's leaping over bigger guys. I mean, he is just a Jonathan Mills-type rebounder that I have not, the likes of I have not seen in a really long time in our area. I'm going to give him that much praise um, and I guess those numbers have been true. He, he's got close to 20 a game, it seems, which in high school is absolutely unbelievable um, for somebody to be doing. I was very, very impressed with him. The future's bright at Leo. His little brother is a heck of a rebounder, too. Another guy who's killing it on the glass, Cameron Burrell. Cam Burrell at Morgan Park. He is a jumping jack, quick leaping, springy kid off the floor. And I give him a lot of credit. Now, Morgan Park lost to Mel Pearson early in the year. He played one game. He's a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, Division One senior going to UAB. He's lost for the season. Or not, I'm sorry, for the season, but up to this point. He'll be back in February. Cam Burrell has been a constant double-double. I, and they just lost a game to Chaminade, and I can't remember his numbers. They were gigantic. I mean, huge numbers. And Cameron Burrell, again, double-double. I think he's averaging 17, 18 points. At least 11, 12 rebounds a game. Io DeSumo went out. Now he's been carrying a load. He's just been consistently, consistently doing it. A big factor on the glass. Like I said, he just is a quick-leaping, athletic uh, foreman who has really excelled as, as a senior. Kind of came out of nowhere, too. Yeah, Burrell, definitely a very nice season. You know, he's just so active, and he's everywhere. If you're going to rebound for Morgan Park, that means an awful lot of running up and down the floor because they're going to let 107 points come one way or another. Um, and he's been doing it consistently all year, just like Anderson. Um, my next guy I want to talk about is Mitch Mascari, a junior at Geneva, who really, you know, I saw play last year, but I don't know if he'd have been even the third guy I mentioned on Geneva. That's how foolish I am, I guess, headed into the year. You know, I'd have talked about McDonald and Santos. Um, I was very impressed with him. Just a complete gunslinger. I mean, you cannot leave him unguarded. When you go past the half court line, he is a tremendous shooter. Definitely one of the best I've seen in the area. You know, he's got the length. He's six four, six five at least. He gets uh, a shot off with his size, length, and, and yeah, pretty quick, pretty quick get a release out too. Yeah, he's a scary player. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. I'm very interested to see what he turns into next year. And he's somebody that really went from someone I knew his name but didn't really care much about or think much about to somebody I'm really going to be paying attention to the next year and a half. Probably my biggest breakout player, Mike, is is a kid who didn't play, or he's injured last year, missed a lot of time, and then also in the summertime, Terrence Shannon of Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park's been, you know, getting some headlines lately. They beat Young before Christmas, beat some ranked teams over the Hinsdale Central Holiday Tournament, and Terrence Shannon along the way has averaged 18 points per game. He's a six five and a half, six six. 
multi-talented player who plays some point guard for Lincoln Park. He's long, rangy, will knock down a three, uh, get on the glass, uh, disruptive with his with his length. And again, he has come out of nowhere to the point where I think he's gone from literally nowhere to being a Division One prospect. You know, I don't know if he'll end up going to a JUCO or a prep school or if he'll go sign right away, but he is a late-blooming, developing player who now is producing at a high level. And obviously the injuries hampered him, but uh, he's had a breakout senior year for a team that is really kind of causing some problems for some people. Yeah, my uh, next guy, you know, I've not been able to see the Steelman in person this year. I've watched a couple games online, but I saw him a lot last year. 6'4", senior Ryan Saunders. Probably less talked about than anybody we've talked about in this podcast. But, you know, he is the leading scorer and rebounder for a team that's been in the rankings now for a while. A team that is one of the better, more consistent teams in the area. And I think there's a little bit of a misconception about Saunders. You're always seeing that line, if you're paying attention, to like 15 points and 12 rebounds. And I think people think he's this post player. He's not. This is a perimeter guy doing that. He's hitting multiple three-point attempts a game usually. He's He handles the ball out on the wing. Ryan Saunders really, and even more so than a lot of guys on this list, can play all five positions on the court. He's doing everything for Juliet Central and really taking a lot of pieces that aren't super high level there and turning them into one of the area's better teams. And I think it's... I don't know what the exact college fit is for Ryan Saunders, but I have no doubt that he's somebody who can play somewhere. And it's a little bit like Jose Grubbs last year, you know, where he just, he does a lot of everything, and, if, and that's a little difficult. I think if he was a post player, he'd have bigger numbers. If he was a guard, he'd have bigger numbers. But because of the role he's playing for Juliet Central, he's a little difficult for people to peg. Yeah, he's a little bit of a tweener when coaches watch him, but he's got a little junkyard dog in him too, I mean, as far as his mindset. And he is tenacious uh, on the glass, obviously, with his numbers. But he can get he can get his buckets and score in different ways. Uh, I got a junior that I'm going to throw on here, Nate Ferguson from Lamont. He is an underrated prospect, for one. Nobody really knows too much about him. Six foot seven junior, and... He's averaging about 17, 18 points a game, eight rebounds as a junior. You know, Paul O'Leary teams up with two two headed big big man monster there for Lamont, ten and five on the season. But he is a prospect who's among my top twenty five prospects in that class. No fanfare, nobody talks about him, but really putting together a nice season. He's a versatile big man. He can step away from the basket, face up, knock a shot down, very soft touch around the rim, runs the floor. Uh, I like his energy he plays with. So I, I think Nate Ferguson is a really kind of an unheralded prospect in the junior class who's also putting up some numbers. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, check him out. They've got the other big there. I'm going to get out to a Lamont game this year. Um, is, this is our last guy, is it? Yeah, I think so. Um, last guy for me, Robert Harvey, Bobby Harvey from Hillcrest. I mean, he's been around a long time. We know that Bobby Harvey has been a you know a pretty good player, but this season, I mean, he's almost personally responsible for Hillcrest, just inc- incredibly impressive for him. He, he didn't make first team at Proviso. You know, it was DJ Stewart, Castaneda, Freeman, Chase Adams, Danny Smith, but I think he was the first guy on the second team. He's had some huge games this year, thir- multiple 30-point games. He's shooting the ball incredibly well. He's one of the most dynamic senior guard scorers in the area, 
And I know this is something a lot of the AAU people did not see coming. I guess he didn't have a great spring and summer. But he's someone who has really stepped up and not just, you know, put up big numbers for himself and gotten himself a D1 offer, but has helped his team win and taken his team a lot farther and just made his team a lot better than we thought they were going to be this season. Yeah, I mean, he put that Hillcrest, he's put that Hillcrest team kind of on his shoulders and carried him a little bit, which is why they have, you know, surprised some people. And you're right, he did not have, and that's why I'm really glad to see him come. And I actually just sent out a report to a midseason report to college coaches highlighting the fact that this Bobby Harvey is a different one than they saw in July because he did not have a great July. And I'm really glad to see him bounce back. Uh, my fifth guy, which I think, Mike, I think I went first, so I think maybe you may have one more left. But my fifth guy. Is and anybody who follows, it's kind of become a running. I've even had some fans come up to me and introduce me at Pontiac about this player and my affinity for him. But Josh Boulanger, uh, at Brother Rice, and I've written about him, I've tweeted about him, and I, I've joked about how I like saying his name, Boulanger. I mean, he is a, a different type of player, as I've written about. You know, he's probably 6'3. I don't think he's 6'4". Very skinny, thin, but oh, he, he impacts the game in ways that normal 6'3 players don't. There's a 6'3 kid who is on pace to become the all-time shot-blocking player at Brother Rice. Uh, he, he's long. He's got great upside because he's a late-blooming kid who didn't start playing basketball until later in his uh, grammar school days. and So... He's just intriguing. He's he's an electric athlete. He's a phenomenal rebounder, and he is now. I mean, he probably averaged three or four points a game last year in a limited role for Brother Rice, as far as being a role player. And I don't know what his official numbers are right now, but you know, he's definitely a double figure scorer, probably close to ten rebounds a game. And he's just one of the most lively, active players. Second chance scoring opportunities. Offensive glass, running the floor, uh, they'll throw it up to him for an alley oop. I, I, I just, I love what he brings to that brother Rice team. And again, I just sent this report out, just raving about him for small colleges to just get all over him. You know what? I thought it was my fifth because Morgan Taylor was my other guy, and we talked about him so much. So since we did that, I'm going to talk about another guy, and I think it's important we do. And I was trying to get his name right because I think we've had it wrong and it's a freshman and it's weird because we've talked about a lot of freshmen but I don't think we've really talked too much on the podcast or even at all about the Zion Benton kid Amar Aguilard and Mm. I've seen his name in the newspaper differently up north than it was on the roster when I went to cover him so I'm trying to find it but anyway it's Amar Aguilard or Aguilard something like that he is a just looks like a grown man already. He's 6'4", 6'5", incredibly strong. He's put up, he's the leading scorer for Zion Benton. He didn't have the best shooting game when I saw him at Evanston, but it's really clear that this guy isn't just like a future, oh, he's going to be a college player. He's a future monster star in the area. I don't know if it's going to be next year or junior year, but he is going to be a really big deal. He can do basically anything he wants at this point. Against Evanston, he was getting any shot he wanted on the court. They weren't always going in at that point. Um, Bob Worthington says he's very coachable. He thinks he's going to you know, get even better. He is, to me, it's a little surprising that he doesn't have more hype than he has, especially considering just his physicality. Yeah, I remember talking to Coach Worthington 
uh, you know, before the preseason, during you make phone calls, talk to different coaches in the preseason, and and he just raved about him. And so, yeah, he's obviously clearly one to watch in that freshman class. You know, and also I left him off the thing I wrote for the newspaper by complete brain fart. I went out just to see him, and then the next day filed the story for the newspaper on the best freshman without him in it because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> So, well, yeah, let's. Uh... It's uh, the, the freshman class does give hope. me some hope. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it does. Because, you know, they're already really productive. You know? Yeah, it's productive. And, you know, sometimes the productive freshmen, as you know, sometimes do fizzle out somewhat because they're so. It might be the kid who's overly developed and the big bad freshman who can just physically do what he needs to do to get stuff done at that level, varsity level, and then you just kind of plateau. But a lot of these kids do project. You know, you see like a, a Max Christie, he's far from being fully developed, and, and he's impacting the Rolling Meadows in, in a big way. And they're in fun places, too. Different places. Yeah, you know, it's not just the same old, same old. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of, and I'm not buying, I think in public league, Bynum lot, and uh, the kid of Bogan. But that, I mean, what I'm saying is there's a lot that are outside the public league exactly, already. Exactly, yeah. Um, I guess the south suburbs. Kenton Wright is playing a lot for Hillcrest, but I haven't seen much out there. I would. That's just been a... That's a whole <laughs> other podcast, because I, yeah, I, I, I'm just aching for the south suburbs to... I don't know, find their way and, and, and become what it was. I mean... Anybody, well, you go on on about how great the South Suburbs have been for decade after decade after decade. Let's um, take a look at this week ahead. Uh, Tuesday, uh, game of the night, not Bogan Curie, not Simeon Kenwood. It For me, it is definitely Niles North at New Trier. I am, uh, yeah, big. New Trier gets them on their, on their floor, right? Yeah, they do. It's, it's one of those teams, I think, Mike, that needs a little – jolt and a win over and knocking off Niles North athleticism is going to give new Trier problems. There's no question. They're going to have to handle Niles North's relentless uh, activity that they constantly disrupt you with, but they, they need a, they need a big win. They need a, they need to prove that they can knock off one of the elite teams. The uh, other big games that night, uh, Maine South is at Glenbrook South. who We have to talk about now uh, Glenbrook North at Highland Park. Manuka at Romeoville, Carmel at Libertyville, which should be a pretty good one. Prospect at Fremd, Rolling Meadows at Barrington. Yes, we have reached the point where I'm going to tell you about Rolling Meadows games. <laughs> Isn't that a uh, no shot clock first, Max Christie? Men's Suburban League, baby. <laughs> yeah, they're back. And uh, St. Lawrence at, is this true, Glenbard West? Guess oh, so. what, that's a, what night's that? Tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Huh. All right. Um, Get a little Evan Taylor action, maybe. Yeah. Um, Wednesday, Lincoln Park at North Lawndale. This is super interesting to me because we know Lincoln Park, you know, I don't want to give them, say it was all home court advantage, but they knocked off Young in double overtime in their tiny court. Well, now the flip side of the North and the West combining comes because Lincoln Park has to go to Collins and play North Lawndale. And, oh, boy, that is going to be a test for the resurgent Lions. Have you seen Lincoln Park yet? No, no, I'm not this year. Are you going to that game? Yeah, I'll be there for sure. Okay. 
Um, that should be a very good one because North Lawndale's in the rankings. They haven't totally proven it yet. You know, they've had a really nice season, no real bad losses with their whole team at least. Also, we've got Uplift at Orr, which is a uh, match that just happened, um, or game. Uh, Farragut at Marshall, which is always a great rivalry. And then, to me, one of the best rivalries in the area, Zion Benton at Waukegan. Uh, Thursday, a really uh, good night. Uh, well, just one game. Uh, Marist at Marion Catholic. East Suburban Catholic showdown. Marion Catholic, who I've not seen yet this year. I'm lo- really looking forward to that because th- I've heard some rave reviews. See if Morgan Taylor can go to Chicago Heights and get a big win. I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that Marion Catholic is the best team that the podcast has not seen. Neither one of us. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, people... And, you know, I mean, I guess I've not seen Aaron Euless play really well, and and he has been, according to most reports. But Tidwell, I, com- I, I, I completely missed them at um, Hinsdale. Uh, Kenwood Curie is also that night, which would be, should be a good game. Um, Friday, we got a big list, but the headliner is Young at Orr. Rematch the Proviso West Tournament. Huge rivalry. Yeah. The only problem is <laughs> it just happened. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Uh, we got DePaul Prep at Loyola. Saint, good one. Big, big one in the Catholic League. Definitely. St. Joe's at Fenwick. Evanston at New Trier. Big New Trier week. Uh, Maine South at Niles North. You know, you could see Niles North winning that one, and then Tony Lavarado and the Hawks <laughs> taking it to him. Um, this is, oh, Naperville Central at Naperville North. Lake Zurich at Stevenson. Mundelein at Libertyville. Farragut at Uplift, rematch of the city tournament game last year, and St. Charles North at St. Charles East. Yeah, some of those were huge conference games. We talked about DePaul Prep and, and Loyola in the Catholic League, and then obviously Naperville Central and Naperville North with Wheaton South kind of hitting the skids here with three losses. I think they've lost three in a row. Naperville Central's kind of snuck up there, and uh, that'll be a huge game in the two-page valley. And then underrated, you mentioned it, but that Mundelein-Libertyville game. Yeah. You know, no one kind of would have expected when the season started that the North Suburban Conference would have Libertyville and Mundelein at the top. And, you know, as I talked about Lake Zurich. Uh, everybody had Waukegan winning it. So here Libertyville and Mundelein are with the winner kind of in, in a nice position going forward. Big weekend for Libertyville because I'm going to actually go check them out on Saturday, finally. It's been a while since I've seen Drew Peterson play. They are at Downers Grove North in uh, – it should be a nice opportunity to see Drew Peterson. Also, the Wheaton-Warrenville South Tournament uh, the bracket is up on the website. Carmel and Geneva play at Lake Zurich in that kind of tournament thing. St. Patrick's is at Conant. Jacobs is at West Aurora. So not a great loaded Saturday, but those are all good games. Big game for Jacobs. Going on the road, getting out of the, the Fox Valley and their Jacobs holiday tournament and getting a chance to... The Cameron Crutwigless Jacobs uh, team that uh, what's their what are they twelve and two or yeah I think they yeah something like that yeah um the only uh, we might as well hit Sunday there's a shootout at Thornton Mount Carmel plays Rich East at one then Bloom and Orr and Thornton versus Homewood Flossmore um there's Sunday I guess there's more of the Martin Luther King play as well nothing else really stood out too well and then Monday we might as well hit it because we won't be able to in another podcast at Fenwick you got Bolingbrook against Morgan Park and Simeon against Fenwick great doubleheader that's on TV too right yeah but I don't think it's live 
think, I think it's going to be on at like five. So, which actually isn't too bad because if you get home from work or you're sitting around, you you might not know who won yet because the game might not be over. I think it's one of those things where they're going to start it. Like, so you can probably watch it and it'll be live to you. And uh, Twitter won't ruin it too much if you stay off it. But um, anyway, that should do it. It should be a big week. You know, we should have a lot of shakeups, hopefully. Maybe some teams came to the forefront. Maybe some things become more clear after all this basketball this week. Or maybe people will just be yelling at me about Ween Warrenville South consolation action <laughs> that I better be paying attention to. But uh, we will see. Thanks for listening, everybody.